0: Hello, my name is James McDonald. I've been asked here by Mr. Mark Eberhardt to host a round table for podcasting, role-playing games, and specifically being a GM. So I am surrounded here tonight by what I would consider to be Star Wars podcasting RPG. There's like a lot of like letters and things like that, but royalty nonetheless. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm gonna introduce the uh, participants individually Um, But first, I have to start with the guy that invited me here, because otherwise I wouldn't be here at all. Uh, Mr. Mark Everhart. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Good, how are you? I am well. So tell me what you have planned
1: for this evening. Well, if you are listening to this, hopefully you are all caught up and have finished Path of the Storm. We have all the players, all the GMs from Path of the Storm here tonight, where we are going to be talking about making it, answering questions about our characters and the encounters that we ran and all that sort of fun stuff. We might get technical, we might get uh probably get goofy at some point, but yeah we're just gonna have fun talking about our games. Well, I'm particularly excited about this because
0: um, I am working on a number of projects. Uh, I have the University of Coruscant, which is nothing like what you guys do, but I am going to be doing a podcast called Wild Space, which is very much like what you guys do, except I don't have a lot of GMing experience. So what I hope to get out of tonight is... uh, I don't know, like a guide on how not to make all the mistakes that you probably all individually made over the course of many, many, many years, right? Like, that would be amazing if I could just skip all of the hard work that you guys put into podcasting and go right into the good stuff that we're experiencing today. Next up is Andrew Armstrong, host of the Dicey Cantina. Hi, Andrew. Hi, greetings. Welcome.
2: How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm uh. It's been a busy week but we're hanging in there so i'm i'm just excited to be here good well i
0: i think we're all uh we're all hopefully going to get something out of this i'm sure it's going to be uh much more on my end than your end but nonetheless i'm excited to talk to you guys about this stuff erica goodwitch dice for brains uh she's on course on night she's all over the place erica how are you doing
3: uh i'm doing great
0: Thank you very much for coming out here tonight. Is there any uh, words of encouragement you'd like to give a brand new uh, RPG player like myself before we get started?
3: Uh, Roll with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can take that. And finally, we have Doug Eberhardt, who
4: I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, John Shondongas. Yes, I am. I am John Shondongas. John Shondongas, <laughs> one of my favorite characters. It's Been a minute since we played him, but yes. That is I. Yeah, I have mostly, you know, I don't have a podcast. I just, I'm um, on my brothers quite a bit and I've been on uh, Dicey Cantina and just, I, I love to play. I love playing. It's so much fun. So much of like a, a great creative outlook for me. It's become like one of my biggest hobbies. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to chat, share whatever insight that I've learned. I've, I guess, how long have we been playing Mark like six years, 2016, yeah, something like that. And uh, when,
1: when the new Star Wars came out, that's when we started playing.
4: I've definitely learned some stuff. I've how many? I must have. I probably been the game master for like maybe like close to 20 games, which is I think less than a lot of you all. I was but, gonna uh, guess like six. <laughs> well, I I GM'd a lot of games that never. That were just That's like for fun and friends. At the start of the pandemic, I I had like weekly games I was doing with some friends that were incredibly goofy, too goofy for other listeners probably. And 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 uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have some some thoughts. So I'm excited to share them with y'all.
0: Well, I I have to say that John Shandongus is one of my all time favorite characters. Everybody ha- has their certain favorite characters, and and for some reason I just. I crack up whenever I listen to John Shondongus. and the the play between Baxter and Mando Man was just a stroke of <laughs> absolute brilliance. Uh, I would have to say it's uh, it's certainly one of one of my favorite uh, arcs. Thank you. While we're uh, at the at the point of talking about going all the way back to the beginning, that is something that I would like to have each of you answer for like uh, you know a, a a minute or something like that about when you are starting out an RPG like I'm going to be, what is the first thing, the very first thing that you like to do? What's the first thing that you like to establish as far as your plan for putting together a whole thing like this? Oh boy, I've stumped them already (laughs) on question one. Well, I'm going to put Mark on the spot then. Mark, you're going to have to answer this first.
1: So if we're talking about Path of the Storm, the first thing that we did was find a group to play with. I talked to Andrew and Erica about starting this thing. And from there, we uh, got into discussions of what we wanted it to be like. Not even really thinking about the plot, but thinking that, okay, we want to set this in the High Republic because Erica knows uh, a ton about that. And I just had just started reading the books. Uh, from there, just trying to figure out what the entirety will be. So especially when we're talking about podcasts and stuff, or, or storytelling in general, F- trying to figure out the whole before looking at the individual pieces is is kind of important. Um, so that's kind of where we started with this, and we decided, okay, High Republic. There's a lot of Jedi. We've got the Nihil. We've got some some other things out there in the galaxy. Uh, what is it that we want to focus on as the premise of this show?
0: Erica, what do you like to establish first when you're when you're going to create an RPG?
3: Uh, well, after you get your basic story concept down, the, the characters are a big part of the story, right? So sort of figuring out what your players are, are going to play, what they kind of want from the game, um, and things like that is um, a good thing to get right at the beginning as well.
2: Andrew? I like to shoot from the hip a lot. So when people invite me to play games, I do everything in my power to say yes. doesn't always work out but uh, certainly when mark says hey you want to play with erica and i and like yes absolutely i do because of that storytelling element that idea of putting something together because i actually have no experience with the high republic uh i haven't read any of the books or anything like that but the opportunity to just get around the table and play a game with some experienced storytellers is just something i always jump at doug what about you Well, I think knowing
4: the rules is very important. Um, And that's something I don't feel like I know all that well. Um, (laughs) Well, I agree with that, too. I think that there's like two ways that I think about games. One is like having like a really clear idea of like where you want it to start and end and knowing. And like, I think that communicating to the player like subtly because you don't want to railroad them, which I have definitely done in games before where like, you know, you encounter the dungeon door and like you're asking the player to like walk in. But I think like if you, ha- if you're playing with a group of people that you like know as players, then you can do more. Like if they're like, what's up with this dungeon? Can we just not go in it? Um, and you're completely sidelined as the GM. You're like, I don't, I mean, yeah, you can not go in. I guess we're just, doing improv now um i think that that, you just hit my biggest fear uh
0: (laughs) is that i'm gonna establish this whole thing yeah like i'm gonna have this whole thing it's like what do you mean you don't want to go into the room that i've so carefully set up for you to go in the whole thing depends on you going in this room
3: yeah that's that first episode with connie Mm -hmm. yeah
1: (laughs) early on we decided that we wanted to base our adventures on the modular encounters that you can find in a lot of the the star wars books partially to show that you can take those encounters and reskin them to be whatever you want partially because i don't think any of us had run modular encounters before at all so it was an interesting thing for us to do can you
0: define what a modular encounter is
1: yeah so in the star wars rpg you've got the the big core rule books you've got the thinner books that go into like bounty hunters and different types of force users and all that and then you've got uh, a set of books that take you to different parts of the galaxy there's one for the Corellian sector there's one for hot space there's one for force nexus nexuses nexi i don't know (laughs) nexus places um and each of those has a list of encounters that if you don't know where your party's going to go next, you can just slot that into your story. So like your your party's out in the middle of space. What do I want to do next? Um, You know what? There's this ship that looks like it's run down that you guys are, you run into, Uh, it looks like they're in distress. What do you do? And then you just sort of go page to page in the modular encounter and try and fit in into your, fit it into your story. So act, act four Lodi and Becros go into this creepy temple and there's a door and in the text it says, okay, you can do a, or you can do B to get the door open. And Andrew's like, well, I want to do C. I was like, okay, that was way easier than either of those other things. Let's see if you can do it. Do
0: you find in your experience, uh, each of you that when they pick something that's not planned, that you have to get them back onto the path or do you find that you just end up going along this new path entirely and leave out whole parts that you've planned out on the previous path
3: i feel like both can apply like you can follow the path that the players are forging and sort of get them to curve back around to where you want them to be Mm -hmm. just as easy as Being like, okay, I planned for this encounter to be behind that door, but they took that door, so I'm just going to put it behind that door instead. Mm -hmm. Or you could, you know, Mm -hmm. just go completely improvise with them as well. I think it depends on, I feel like it's a very situational kind of thing.
1: I have a lot of, um, I'm thinking in particular, the second session with Mimi, Moxie, and Shrelby. Uh, They're in these sewers under the city. And I gave them the choice, you can go left or you can go right. And they deliberated for a very long time. And then I said, if you go left or you go right, the same thing's going to happen. It's just a simple choice and you're going to end up in the same place. I think that goes with what you were saying, Erica. You choose the door, the the thing is still behind the door. But the party (laughs) doesn't know that. Do you regret telling them that it would be the same um no because it <laughs> hastens the decision making <laughs> i mean for something like that i don't tend to plan out like very elaborate dungeons where each room is going to have a different puzzle and you're only going to get the special treasure if you go to the left and then to the right and then to the left again for me it's more it's more modular it, uh, the the dungeon is being built as it's being explored
0: so let's talk about that um for a second because that's a that's one of the big questions that I asked you guys on a on a Discord forum a while ago is mm-hmm. how much planning are you doing on a session? You know, are we talking about laying out room by room? Are we talking about writing, you know, a dozen or twenty pages worth of conversation type of stuff that is going to be happening, or are we much, much more free-flowing with things where maybe you have an encounter like a one person or something like that and you're just dropping people in as they as they go
3: when i'm not working with a module i like to build the world the setting of the game and you know like the characters and how i know that my npcs will act and what the conflicts and everything are going to be but after that after the players actually get into the setting and their players are going forth it's a sandbox. I've built them a sandbox and now I have to make sure that it works. <laughs> yeah. Like as far as like you go from point A to point B, point C, I don't make that.
2: Andrew, what do you like to do with that? So I mentioned earlier I like to shoot from the hip, but it's, it's been a process to figure out what of that works, in particular for a podcasting uh, situation, because like I got my start doing RPGs to specifically make podcasts. I joke and it's somewhat truthful. I'm the failed Hollywood director. And so I just needed an outlet for telling stories and Star Wars stories are my favorite kind of stories. And so with that, when I sat down to, to do something, I want it to feel in that kind of modular sense that it, we can sit down and we can play one session because I'm bad at note taking. I'm not going to remember something if I don't take a note on it. And if I don't take a note on it and we play two or three sessions down the line, then I'm not going to remember what happened last time. I prep all my players with just saying like, I'm arbitrary in that way as a GM. If I say something's one way and then we play another session and I don't do that, that's just me being me. I hope that's okay. But with that, I kind of build from the, for lack of a better term, the three arc structure, you know, beginning, middle and end. What's something that, where are we going to start? What's the process that, the, the PCs should go through to find what piece of information they need and uh, what is the end when they get that information, what's the result? And I kind of jot down those three ideas and then I typically find the adversary after that, you know, the the nemesis or whoever is going to be standing in the way. And then with the, the the way that I love to tell the stories, particularly in the setting, is character-driven. So I, I'm not really good at describing the environment or uh, the elements of a room or anything along those lines, but I know what the characters, the NPCs are driven by, and I'll give their villain uh, a motivation. They want to accomplish something and make sure that the NPCs know what that is and then let that be the source of conflict and the PCs can decide to to join the, the Nihil gang as Jedi or they can reject that. Reject it. Doug, how much
4: prep work do you do on something like this when you're gming it i have done anywhere from way too much to none at all and i you know like i said i think when you the more you do the more often like unnecessary time you've spent because the player characters are gonna do they're gonna do what they want the more time you put into it like i actually think the more you if you're really trying to stick to it, the more you can end up railroading your characters and making them feel like, okay, you've said three times that there are like spooky noises coming from the sewer. I guess we have to go down the sewer. (laughs) But I think I actually, so if I plan a lot and then the characters go like rogue and they go off like that did happen in our, just at the beginning of our path of the storm game. Yeah. Can Can you you talk about that a little bit more? I would like to, I can't remember if we discussed it at the end, but when, when Beckros and Lodi decided to like fly in to like the base and just jump out into it, I was like, okay, I thought there was going to be a whole bunch of like you having to sneak in because I think, no, you know, everybody plays a little different, but I think more experienced players like, like all of you in that campaign are just like, like you're Jedi also, you're, you're you're not sneaking in. You're Jedi. You've got lightsabers. <laughs> you you go for the you go for the neck. You go for the head, and that's what you all did. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. You you've like sidelined the first 45 minutes of this game. <laughs> and actually, what was very helpful in that circumstance was Mark was like, I've got an idea uh, of what this what should happen, and I just let Mark come up with an idea which involved going down into like this underground of, of a Jedi temple. And like, I, so I had planned a bunch. And then when you, when people go off road and you have a bunch planned, you end up like deer in the headlights. You're like, ah, uh, okay, that's cool. Um, how can I solve this problem? So sometimes let, I guess maybe, uh, advice would be let your players like help you with the narrative and like help you fill the gaps. Um, it was actually, it was more helpful cause Mark kind of knew what I wanted to do a little bit, but, uh, once, sometimes when it goes like completely, like, sometimes when you don't plan at all, I think that you can just have a lot of fun. Cause it's just, you're like the player you're like feeding off of each other's just whatever happens happens.
1: When you don't plan at all, you get a, you get a hut pool party. Yeah. That <laughs> happened once <laughs> on April fools. <laughs>
0: So I had the uh, fortunate experience of being able to be on Coruscant Nights uh, as a character uh, with Stanton, Stanton Horn, um, the ex cop (laughs) internal affairs, Mm -hmm. uh, private detective. And I really enjoyed that. But I've always been curious, like how far off the rails did we get from the plan uh, that you had built
1: for us, Mark? I would say that we got pretty far off the rails, except the, the rails were very wide. When I plan something, when I plan a course on Knights game in particular, I tend to have a couple of scenes that I think will be cool that I think the player will really like. And that like one that will get them really invested in the story with, with Stanton. It was like, um, I know Stanton's I'm, I'm hoping Stanton's going to have a soft spot for somebody who's like trying to get out of trouble. So that, that was, that was scene number one. And then honestly, that one just like went off my plan scenes pretty quickly. Did but, you
0: plan to go to the Golden Gundark? Because oh, I was, all. oh my goodness, I couldn't have given you any stronger vibes that I wanted to go to the Golden Gundark than I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I laid enough breadcrumbs like, please get me to the Golden Gundark. I knew there was going to be
1: some sort of high stakes sabac game.
0: <laughs> there has to be, right? The yeah. Golden Gundark is is just a spectacular a spectacular thing now that I am forever using in all of my other references to Coruscant. Like that, that exists on Coruscant. There's no doubt in my mind. One of the questions that I had for, uh, for you guys that was asked, um, by AJ here also was, it seems like you all have a different, uh, level of, um, I guess, understanding or reference material when it comes to the High Republic. But this is a very High Republic story, um, this particular arc that you're doing. How much do you think that has helped or not hurt or, or hurt you uh, at all with your, your varying levels of understanding of what exactly is happening in the books that are coming out that are establishing this, this High Republic era?
1: I think we should go from most knowledgeable to least. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm guessing that the most knowledgeable here is
0: definitely going to be Erica. That is true. Uh,
3: yeah, I actually very deliberately set our game in between events and the books. So where we're playing is after the Battle of... Kerr? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wrote it down. It's right here. It's one month <laughs> after the Battle of Kerr. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's... Basically, the last event of the uh, the first book, "The Light of the Jedi," mm-hmm. and is like five months before the uh, the second adult fiction book starts. So, like, I put us in a very like open area where we don't really know what's going on, which is helpful when you're doing these sort of RPG games because it's easier to do when you're not having to grapple with canon, with continuity of canon. And then I don't know, I had. The basics, like there's Night Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, I made sure that they were very Night so I did a little bit of extra re- research to make sure I had all my facts straight.
1: I think setting it at that particular time, right after the first book, also really helps the listeners. Like, I know we had at least AJ and Chaos Mod start the series after we started releasing this, and... All you have to do to understand the series is read one book.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You should actually listen to it because it's very good. In I've heard that
0: listening to those audiobooks is is spectacular. As a matter of fact, um, one of the gentlemen that I'm going to be doing uh, Wild Space with, the the two guys, JB and Cash, they're huge Star Wars fans. But mm-hmm. when they listen to the Coruscant Knights arc with uh, the Nihil, when the Nihil first got to speak and you heard the, I believe it's rec punk in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And then you heard that respirator and he said like, ride the storm. That was like a absolute oh snap nerd moment, right? <laughs> they, they just loved personifying that because you read it in the books. And unless you're listening to an audiobook, and I haven't heard the audiobooks like you have to just imagine what this is. And then to have somebody put it into uh, audio is is really a magical thing. I've always said that audio is like the last bastion of creativity, because once, once pictures get uh, put up there, then all that imagination goes away and you just rely so much more on your eyes than you do your ears for anything like that. But with audio, you have to you know, you have to still imagine these things. You have to imagine mm-hmm. what what Lodi looks like. You have to you know, imagine how these characters are jumping out of vectors and and things like that. Yeah, I'm not sure which between Andrew and Doug knows less about uh, the High Republic, but <laughs> Doug is <laughs> uh, pointing at himself, so we'll go with Andrew first. Andrew,
2: uh, how is how is your knowledge level of the High Republic helped or hurt you on this? So, I probably know just a little bit more than Doug does, only because I got a crash course from Mark and Erica as we brainstormed what we were going to do. Uh it was kind of a like, hey yeah, we can play in the High Republic. Uh you're gonna have to tell me what's important for a GM to know about this for me to adapt to a modular encounter. And so we covered some of the the Nihil, their motivations, things like that, that they would become kind of the antagonists throughout the piece. And from there, I did a little bit of Wikipedia on reading up on them and just doing like the initial paragraph. And then from there, it was just kind of the same thing is that get a character, get a motivation for them. Uh, and it worked out very interestingly because we picked the modular encounters we were going to do first, then almost simultaneously picked the High Republic. And so I had this modular encounter that is like join the dark side, basically that became join the Nihil. And there was definitely moments leading up to that. And I was like, should I switch encounters? Like, I don't know that it makes sense to have to ask the Jedi to join, but it's, uh, I think my lack of knowledge of the high Republic helped in that scenario because I didn't know how wild or off topic that sort of conversation would be. So I could just go for it.
4: Doug. Um, all I really got was this, the crash course that Mark also kind of gave me. And then, I would just ask Mark questions. Be even during the game, I'd be like, probably stuff you all didn't hear. Would be like, there's a there's a chiss in this like vision that somebody's having, and I'm like, is that does that make sense? And Mark's like, no. <laughs> am no. I allowed? Am I allowed to <laughs> no. have a chiss in here? <laughs> Mark's like, make it a make it a make it a uh, Well, <laughs> so just one second on this too.
0: I don't know if you have like a large library in front of you, but your ability to pull out Star Wars species at a fraction second notice is ridiculous. I listen to this all the time, and I don't know how many times I've had to pause to look up Nikto, (laughs) see what they look like. And I'm like, oh, one of those. The the beauty of
1: editing is I delete the pause.
0: Oh, my
4: goodness.
1: (laughs)
0: it's 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 almost frustrating sometimes to hear you just drop a species like that like out of the blue and i'm like ugh, now i gotta pause it
1: now i gotta look these guys up and just to be clear doug did just drop Nicto really quickly we didn't speed that up at all
4: <laughs> uh well clock claw Klaatu Barada Nikto. It's the, it's the, it's the, what uh, Ash and the Evil Dead says to some of the. Necronomicon? Yes, exactly. Klaatu Barada Nikto. We've got Klaatus, Baradas, and we've got Nikto's. Mm -hmm. It's an easy one you can always pull out of your hat. Uh, I want to ask a question from, uh, from Chaos
0: Mod here, because this one hits real close to home. So part of the process for Wild Space is that it's going to be an arc that each of the three of us will be individually GMing various points of the storyline. And that is, <laughs> you talk about like being unaware of, uh, of just how wild things might be and that hopefully being an advantage, that, that is what I'm a little bit worried about because when I have talked to some other people about that idea, they immediately say well, that's crazy you can't do that but here you guys are doing this exact thing so how much of a challenge uh has that been for you i'll start with mark here just in being able to coordinate a larger arc that makes mm-hmm. sense from beginning to end while at yeah. the same time having multiple gms and what i imagine is various levels of trying to act surprised when something happens that you should probably know is coming
1: i'm gonna um add an answer to one of Crystal's questions about, uh, the, uh, initial length of, of this story compared to what it ended up being becoming. Originally, like just skimming these modular encounters, I think our plan was to have uh, three or four episodes that didn't happen. That quickly didn't happen. We, we got three quarters of the way through our first, uh, first session and we're like, okay, all right, this is going to be long. We might need to rethink some things about about what we're doing here, but ultimately, we we each picked an encounter that we liked. We saw that two of them have space stuff, and one of them didn't because we started with three encounters with just Andrew, Erica, and I, um, and then we decided, okay, we're going to do space, not space, and space, and that that was simply that. As far as the overarching story. I think a lot of that changed as we were playing. Like we the, the time spaces in between stories too. Like the fact that the first uh, act and the second act take place like within 2 days from each other and then the third act is is a couple of weeks later was was not part of the initial plan but because of how that first one went with with uh Bekros nearly meeting his end, okay, 2 weeks have gone by. And because of how that first one went, it's like, oh, we got our butts kicked by these Nihil. Got
3: our butts kicked twice.
1: Yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, man, we got our butts kicked twice by these Nihil. My space battle isn't going to be a satisfying end. We should find a fourth GM and run one more encounter with all three of us because obviously two of us can't handle these bad guys. So then we brought Doug in to do the, the uh, final act of the story. So it was it was an evolving thing, and each section of it influenced the next one. Um, I don't think there is a way to fully plan out something like this with, with this many GMs uh, rotating initially. And you have to be flexible as you move along and uh, change things as you need them to be changed. An additional part of the storytelling is, is something that we kind of thought of after getting our butts kicked, was the, the sort of afterward scenes where we see the, the captain talking to his crew or, or other characters. We see Lodi having a vision before one of the episodes. Those things were decided on afterwards where, where circumstances of the episode sort of uh, warranted extra storytelling. And so we scripted those things and, and came up with ideas for those uh, together afterward.
0: Crystal had a question that was along those lines as well, um, Eric. I'll ask you this one: After you were able to listen to an episode, um, because there was time that that went on in the making of this process, I'm sure that you listened to an episode. Was there any sort of insights that uh, that came to you after hearing the events that that unfolded in one of those episodes?
3: The only thing I can think of is stop drinking Powerade, Erica. <laughs> <laughs>
0: did the, uh, did the characters change so did any of the characters change for you after like listening to the way that they had uh, reacted to something that you maybe didn't uh, didn't feel in the moment when you were playing that character
2: uh, for beckros for sure
0: yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> i i saw that we were going to do space not space uh space and
1: if we really thought that first one was going to be space. And really would have thought <laughs> that
2: first one was going to be in a spaceship. specifically. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and part of that's my fault. I mean, fault it was, it was in space. It was. And also was upper atmosphere. And then we jumped out <laughs> of the vector for some reason. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I built Becros entirely based on the idea of being helpful in a larger spaceship. Because I didn't read the other encounters. I wanted to be able to react not having any knowledge other than the base summary of the other modules. So I so that way I wouldn't know what I'm supposed to do, right? I could do whatever felt right for the character. But after Becros is uh, taken out by the Nihil, I definitely tried to pull a little bit more of a switch towards him having some conflict in the idea of he, he was a hotshot pilot who got taken out. He lost and no hotshot likes to lose. And so he definitely zeroed in on the idea of protecting others i'm using air quotes protecting others from the nihil perhaps some might call it revenge
1: i'm editing act four currently and at one point of it you you do say that you've been uh training with your lightsaber more and uh have your lightsaber handy as you venture into that uh that temple do you
0: think that that was like a fortuitous do you think that was a good thing for the story? I mean, you built a character around being a hotshot pilot, and then all of a sudden you're not a pilot anymore. Was that something that, that you enjoyed, or was that one of those moments where you're like, oh my god,
2: I just built this pilot, and now he's got to fight everyone hand-to-hand? I, I It was a little bit of both. The The player in me is looking at all the XP I poured into. I think he has four talent trees now, just to try That's and ridiculous. get some skills up in the areas that he wanted. <laughs> And so, like, there's a lot of wasted XP, a lot of wasted um, thoughts and directions to go. But the the storyteller in me loves that Becros wasn't built for the situation that he was in, and he has to adapt. And spending that experience points and taking things in a direction that altered him to be pretty good by the final act... Uh, shows an element of growth and that that character story is something that draws me to playing these games so i, I love that element of it i only palmed a little bit every time i spent some xp i was like oh no that's not <laughs> what this encounter is at all okay oh my god <laughs> yeah the, so the many gamers times all XP of us. not
3: really understanding what i was spending it on I mean, like because i'm a noob can i change that now that i understand it was a bad move
1: <laughs> piloting planetary versus piloting space
3: uh yeah
0: Doug, was it weird to do Coruscant Nights in space? It's a
4: very terrestrial show. Yeah, by weird, uh, when you hear the, if you've listened to the parts of the this this final act that I GM'd, I would say more um, impossible was the word I would use. Where <laughs> I just had to be like, uh, Mark, just tell me what happens. Uh, there's parts where they. The vectors attack a ship. And I was just like, no, I don't know anything about this. Know nothing about ship combat. I'd like to learn more. Not only was I not part of the scene, I was not in the room when that happened. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Like, okay, everybody, let's just like wait like a couple of minutes. He'll be back in a second. Uh, Yeah, I think for me, like the the ship combat in the uh, Star Wars RPG seems like very cool, but it almost is. From my outside perspective, it's almost like its own, like, other cool game where I don't know any of the rules. There's a lot of, like, like, what speed are you going? Mm-hmm. I know that the armor and stuff is, like, kind of the same in the soak. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm also afraid of the the aerial combat because as far as as, as we always say the only two surefire ways that you will die is if you fall from a great height or you are in a ship that is blown up. Um, (laughs) And so like the risk, the risk uh, is, is very high with ship combat. Right.
0: That I was informed that those are the only real ways that you can die and fall from a great height is such a bizarre one, right? Like you're dealing with a bunch of Jedi falling from a great height is the least of their concerns. It seems like.
1: And and shot by ship
0: ship weapons. That'll also do it. Shot by ship weapons seems considerably more dangerous. <laughs> Here's a question for you guys. So um when I built Stanton Horn, so Mark asked me what kind of show do you want to do? And I went back to the 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 origins mm-hmm. of Coruscant Nights with a very film noir type of thing that, that he was doing in the in the early seasons. Um, But when I built the character, there was definitely elements of me in the character. I was working overnights as uh, as an investigator. And and so I wanted to make this investigator character and have him be all the cool stuff that I am not. Uh, So I was curious if when you guys were building your characters, uh, how much, if any, uh, of those characters uh, come from like a
1: personal a personal touch. Did somebody ask this question? Because I meant to write it down, actually. Yes, I believe... <laughs> somebody somebody uh, did? Okay.
0: I believe AJ asked it. Okay, I'd have to look. I'll figure it out. Why don't we okay. have Andrew answer this question first?
2: There is a recurring theme I've learned about myself with all the characters I've made as of late, and that is, while it may not reflect in my day-to-day life, all of my characters are impulsive. I... Uh, I spend a lot of time in my personal life. I spend a lot of time thinking about things, planning things, getting a lot of structure in my life. And so one of the things that's sort of me, but not is when I play a game, letting go of all those things. Almost every character I've ever played has in some way been defined by their actions. And so they don't spend a lot of time deciding what to do. I just want to roll the dice to do something and then figure out what happens from there. Doug, what about you? I think with all the characters I play,
4: I do really like like having like kind of rules that I roleplay to. So in this one I played Horbo and I was like, my rule with Horbo is that Horbo's like kinda naive, but kind of like a little in his night na- naivety <laughs> makes him kind of like like a kind of a sweetie, but uh he's also like maybe like if push come to shove. His naivety wouldn't stop him from like lopping off like two people's heads and not like worrying too much about it. <laughs> so, like, starting with like the first idea, be so that I could like construct how I would role play. We all die eventually, macros. <laughs> yeah, it just like <laughs> it doesn't bother him really, or like, yeah, I think every character I like, I like, I like some rules that some personal rules that I like or personal mantra. Um, that I'll keep in mind as the character plays, Erica.
3: I keep making diplomats. <laughs> I keep making liars and diplomats. I don't.
0: <laughs> Is there something? Some? Do we need to like have a session on the couch? You know, to get into some of these deeper issues here <laughs> as to why you're continuing, make, continually making politicians.
3: No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they all have different reasons for why they are the way that they are. Lucinda Goodwitch was just a liar. She was kind of a con artist, but she was still doing good. Marceline Rosier was a politician because when you sort of look at jobs in the Wizarding World, it's like, yeah, you work for the local government, I guess. What else are you going to do? Because that's what most of the adults in the Harry Potter books are. Um, it they're does either seem teachers like there's or politicians.
0: A very broad governmental influence in the Harry Potter world, isn't there?
3: Yeah. Um, my character. Terrapin who comes to mind. Nobody has ever heard her because she's just my weekly I've been playing her for two years in a weekly D D game, but she's a liar because she's a a oppressed minority <laughs> in a heavily religious setting. And then we get to Lodi. <laughs> and Lodi, when I wanted to make a Jedi in the Higher republic I wanted to make a I kinda looked at what the Jedi do in the Higher republic sort of what I was just like. Well, if I'm just going to be making a, bas- a basic High Republic person, then she's probably the kind of Jedi who mediates uh, disputes and things like that. So a chatty diplomatic character. <laughs> um, <laughs> she kind
1: of becomes a bit of a liar at the end.
3: A little bit. She's under a lot of pressure in that fourth act. <laughs> Her home is being attacked. Like Lodi sort of took a little bit of a left turn in the fourth act, but... I justify. It was justified, justified. but I. Mm-hmm. I feel like I did still manage to hold on to those core tenets of for life and light, uh, of the higher public Jedi, <laughs> even when she wasn't particularly feeling it. Yeah, I'm like Andrew. When I'm making a character, I haven't really planned that much, and I'm not really getting into things like that. They're very impulsive. I discovered in D&D that when I'm playing a true neutral character, it's just true impulsive. (laughs) Lodi was meant to be a a diplomat who um, is strong in the light side of the force, but not particularly all the way up there as a paragon, because, you know, sometimes she does have to act in a way that's a little bit morally conflicting in order to balance a conflict.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's definitely a truism in that uh, when it comes to Two people and characters. There is the character that behaves normally, like how does that character behave uh, when they're allowed to behave like they want to behave? And then how does that character behave when they are squeezed? And that's just a truism in life for, for anybody. But it seems like those are the, if you can establish those two phases of a character, then you're really on your way to developing something. Mark, what about, uh, what about your characters? You've made so many characters over the years. Uh, how often are you putting pieces of yourself in there?
1: Here's the question How often am I actually playing the game as a player? Not as much as you'd and think, not as right? A GM? Yeah. But what well, comes to mind with Kel and uh, on, on Flight, flight Risk, uh, Aaron Windstalker, I, I really enjoy playing characters who find comfort in nature and hate being. In like crowded, busy cities, which is really funny considering my podcast. But yeah, I think I think that's where I bring myself into it. Is uh, I I like to play the people who would prefer to be out in the wild than among traffic and construction and busy, loud noises.
0: I think that that's yeah. I I, I definitely think that it's almost unavoidable to. You you just simply can't avoid putting bits of yourself in in every character that uh, that comes up. At least in my opinion, well, I personally mm-hmm. can't avoid it. I always tend to end up gravitating towards smartasses and people that want to go on their way through a situation. <laughs> uh-huh. After all, I was a lawyer for many years, so
3: <laughs> my characters always want way. to be good. My characters are always good people, even if they don't do the right thing all the time. On
0: that note, I do you find it hard to be Like if you are a nat, okay. here's an example. Star Wars, The Old Republic, the video games. There's a a dozen video games where you're given the choice of playing the light side or the dark side. Do you find that you tend to pick one side and have difficulty playing the other side? Mark is is stroking his beard and Erica is emphatically saying yes on
1: this. I'm going to (laughs) argue against that, Erica.
3: No. She's an exception, anyway.
1: <laughs> okay, Andrew, do you tend
0: to uh, to find yourself on one side of the force all the time?
2: Yes, ish. Uh, for me, with Star Wars, the well, just for me in general, magic and the force and just don't fascinate me very much when playing. And so, Star Wars has always been about X wings and rebels for me more than it has been the Jedi. But absolutely, given the choice between light side and dark side, for me, it's the I mean, the, the mantra from Yoda, you know, anger leads to hate. It all ends in suffering. I, I choose not to suffer whenever I can. And so I'm not going to play uh, to the dark side in that element. It, it was one of the challenges, like GMing was like, oh, I have to actually switch my brain because I would always play a light side character. But now I need to be a foil to light side I need to give the the villains a motivation that is rooted in something. So I have to actually figure out what that is. But anytime I am a player, yeah, they definitely play towards the character's moral good. That can be questionable on its results. You know, you might play a Jedi with two lightsabers. That first choice is killing people. But, you know, it might be their moral good, so to speak.
1: Am I remembering correctly that I just... I really had to stop the both of you from killing everybody in our last session. Yep. Yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, Doug, what about
1: you? I don't think I did kill anyone.
4: Though. I, I like really could never, I don't know when that change happened to me, but I just would feel bad being like, uh, I feel like guilty being too evil of a character. Kind of. If I'm ever playing a video game, I, I only will make like the most goodest decisions possible or else I feel bad best um but uh you know i guess i do i do kind of like playing characters that i think this goes back to what you you were just saying andrew but characters that don't realize that they're kind of bad then i can give myself a pass if you've got like you know han solo that I, han solo doesn't think he's bad for shooting first that's just his like that's his ethos um so playing like i don't know Horbo or, like, Gonk the Annihilator was a was, uh, Gonk droid with, like, a fusion cutter. Gonk would, of course, it doesn't realize whether he's good or bad, if he is even the correct pronoun, but would have no problem just lopping somebody's arm off in the sake of his best interests. That was a
0: tremendous arc, by the way. The Gonk the Annihilator was uh, was spectacular. <laughs> I think my favorite part of that whole thing was just the, the matter-of-fact statement at the end, just like freedom, <laughs> that, that was, was really fun. Just encapsulated the entire, Space. you know, character of of Gonk was that he had this goal, and then you know, you get to this goal It's like, okay, we
4: got there. <laughs> I guess I like re- I like simple characters, <laughs> one-dimensional. Mark, do you find that you're on one side of the force all the time? With
1: my, I I, I have to. Be all over the place because i have to play the dims the dims aren't (laughs) nice people they think they're great they think they're doing the right thing but yeah i don't find it particularly challenging to play the dims yeah so after i figured out the true motivations of the the dims towards the midway point of the first season of coruscant nights i found it pretty easy to be the bad guys but none of the player characters that i play are are bad um, I mentioned my nature-loving force user on Flight Risk, uh, Aaron Windstalker, who is, I think, I think everyone around him thinks he's sort of, if if Gray Jedi were a, th- a thing, he he would be a Gray Jedi. But he's no, he's good. Yeah, all my characters are good.
0: I think we have one uh, very good last question here uh, for all of you guys, and it is. What is your favorite thing about one of the other characters that's being played by somebody else in this podcast? And so I will start, we'll go backwards around the circle here and we'll put Doug on the spot. Doug,
4: what's your favorite thing about one of the other characters? Um, You know what I actually really liked is when I when I play a game, I really like the, like, I like the drama. I like when, like like things don't go according to plan. I really liked actually all of the um the kind of like what's the word the force the is it morality what do you call that is it yeah. morality morality and conflict I like all the morality and conflict that Lodi's character had and the the gauntlet and stuff the gauntlet like, of justice I thought all that stuff was I cool to and leave I
3: that in the vector
4: I think being like that I thought that was really fun and like adding that conflict to the group of the jedi I think made the whole thing feel more like interesting and dynamic and I think it also made me feel like is there going to be another season of this and like where are people's like how will how will the morality and conflict continue to evolve will it be will people will everyone rise to be a paragon or could a character become like a like a like a dark force user and yeah so I like that
2: Andrew what about you my favorite thing about another character that I've actually forgotten the question yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, speak nice about one of your uh, your other co-hosts here and what is your favorite thing about uh, another character being played by somebody here I loved all the characters uh so I'm still stalling for time a little. bit. No, no. I <laughs> but I, I think, listen to all music. <laughs> I do. To music. Uh, my, I think my favorite thing. I mean, I really enjoyed as the story progressed, learning more about the the characters through playing. And when playing Becros in the third act, I really liked what Mark laid out, and then how Lodi played with, uh, played off of Becros. I felt like. The impulsiveness of Becros' do it right now was well suited or countered by Lodi's more careful diplomatic approach to things. And I'd, when I walked away from that session in particular, it, it stuck with me. i just like, I really liked how all that went. Uh, I don't know if Lodi or Erica liked it, but I really liked it. So it's my favorite thing. Erica, what about you?
3: My mind goes to Kel. I really enjoyed how steadfast and calm Kel remained, even when he was like really tense about Beckros having, having gotten hurt. And I loved how he was a little bit different for different people. Like when Kel and Lodi were first, um, in their first session together and going along, he didn't have the same relationship with Lodi that he did with Beckros until Lodi needed it (laughs) in the final session. And just the, uh, I don't know his teacheriness. I liked
0: it.
1: Teacheriness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Mark, what do you think? I uh, I really liked Captain Sorpin's dreamy voice. <laughs> Captain Sorpin,
2: <laughs> best character. <laughs>
1: no, I have, to, I have to talk about Horbo. I I just really enjoyed Horbo, and I kind of wish we had seen more of him in the last in the last session, knowing. What I know about Horbo, uh, having helped Doug build the character and talk about the character, I feel like there was a lot there that we didn't explore. And also, like, he's super powerful. He's he's a monster. And we didn't get to see that. I, so I guess I like Horbo's restraint. I I feel like his master, uh, voiced exquisitely by Crystal, really worked well with what we saw from Horbo, her sort of curt, matter-of-fact way of playing that character. And Horbo's, I guess it's his, uh, that he's naive, he's,
4: his sort of lack of uh, social norms, uh, I thought were was very fun. I'll just say, I was very fine in our last session. Horbo's, like, to me, I, I feel like we kind of built Horbo in case, like... Yeah, Horbo in case was we like... all lost,
1: in case we all died.
4: he's like very very just super good at lightsaber stuff yep um but skill wise he's very uh one dimensional but i i was totally fine like pushing him aside because i think that the three the three like original characters it's just it's the most satisfying to see them like resolve it and which they do and i like that if there's a season two maybe we'll see more of horbo
3: oh definitely those lightsaber skills will come in come in handy
2: I do have one more favorite thing. It's a, it's a small oh, and yeah, kind a of funny experience. So I talked about spending my experience poorly for Becross for the situations that he was in. And entering the last session, we had a little bit of experience to spend. And I put in enough experience to get two ranks in Parry, which deals with people shooting at you completely forgetting that I had three other sessions knowing full well that Lodi takes the blasters of every character. To point <laughs> <them>. <laughs> Making those ranks in Perry completely useless. Yeah. Probably should have seen that one coming, huh? Yep.
3: <laughs> she's, she's a little bit of a one trick pony there. She's just like, you're shooting at me. No, you're not. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to thank you guys for for inviting me out to uh to host this. It, it definitely is um it's helpful to hear those kind of uh words of encouragement out of uh veteran RPG players like yourself. Uh I want to thank AJ and Chaos Mod and Crystal for also submitting questions, a large number of which we just used for this particular uh session. And uh Mark, thank you very much for for inviting me. You have any uh last words before we sign out of this?
1: Well, I would like to thank you for hosting, doing the job that none of us wanted to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not a problem at all.
1: Does anybody have anything that they want to talk about before we, uh, before we finish up here? James, we've heard all about your Wild Space podcast. Do you have any idea when that's going to come out?
0: so we are in the process like i i said before uh we got on the air here i'm more more iron than fire right now as far as things that are in there there there's a fire somewhere on, underneath all those irons that i've shoved in there but uh hopefully we'll see a fourth season of the university of coruscant coming up nice and i mean we're we're building this rpg thing uh, as it goes i've got the first prologue almost done and uh, then it'll just be a matter of of editing we're gonna try to uh, really make this thing an in galaxy experience um cool. kind of along the lines of of university of course but if that means anything it means time so hopefully mm-hmm. this year
2: i would like to see it come out this year
1: <laughs> okay cool andrew you got anything you want to talk about
2: uh, the Dicey Cantina is not dead, but I have no <laughs> no dates for anything okay. new coming out sadly. Well,
1: what we can talk about then is Hopco.
2: Oh yeah. Hopco is a thing that we do with the Dicey Cantina. So Dicey Cantina has changed a little bit. There's no been no official announcement, but Dicey Cantina isn't just Star Wars anymore. It is both podcast and YouTube channel and the second Tuesday of every month you can catch mark aj and i along with guests from time to time playing rpgs that we wanted to try out That were things that were in the back of our minds so you can find us over on dicey cantina it's youtube.com slash c slash dicey cantina or yep. the best place to be is on the nightcast discord because uh, we play live there you got anything erica
3: you can find me wherever i'm invited <laughs> <laughs>
0: Erica, you want Doug? to tell us about uh, about uh, any of the projects, projects you got going on right now?
3: Uh, Mark has asked me several times in the past six months if there's something I would like to do, and every time he asks, I say yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're so, a mercenary. Uh, that is what you are. You're a podcast yeah. mercenary.
3: Oh my god, I'm going to go put that in my Twitter bio. You
0: should. Speaking of podcast mercenaries, I feel like Doug has has had that title for quite some time now.
4: Yeah, that's definitely... That's definitely a, a thing I do. Boom, you know, of course, on nights, Desi Cantina Flight Risk. I just like to play and I'm happy to continue to be invited. I like to play as uh, Garth once said in Wayne's World um, <laughs> after a solo. Um, so, yeah, just to uh, keep supporting these
2: podcasts and uh, you'll hear me there. I think you're both legally obligated to start podcasts now oh boy i
3: don't have the spoons for that
0: yeah. <laughs> it's easy they say
3: it's easy
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i uh i share that sentiment if any of you uh, ever need a voice or or somebody to to play along with you uh, i'm happy to join i've had nothing but uh, a great time since since meeting you all and i would also highly recommend you you get on to the uh The nightcast discord because that's a great place uh, to find all sorts of uh, people and knowledge and assets and man are they quick to answer really broad questions that i ask all the time (laughs) so on that note i will leave it to mark uh to get us out of here thank you very much mark
1: thank you for listening to path of the storm path of the storm was produced by nightcast
3: creative with dicey cantina and eric goodwitch